good afternoon, brethren. It's good to be back in Charlotte again. My wife and I were on a trip for a couple of weeks on the left coast, as they call it, out in California for a conference partially, and uh, had a good trip. But the conference we went to is for uh, religious meeting planners, which is part of my job in planning the fee sites. And they're always interesting and very helpful for us in making good contacts and finding out other places that we might be able to hold the feast in future years. But one of the things that they do at the conference is they have different speakers come in and talk to us and tell us about, uh, in essence, maybe their lives or different, in, different type of inspirational talks on different topics. This year, we had one speaker that came in named Liz Murray. Some of you may have heard from her, of her. Many of you probably haven't. But she was a very interesting person. She had a very interesting life growing up. She grew up in a house with a mother and a father who were never married, who were kind of a product of, shall we say, the 60s, and uh, basically they were drug addicts. She grew up with virtually nothing other than just a little bit, enough to barely squeak by, spending years as a homeless person, so to speak. They made a movie about her life entitled Homeless to Harvard that was aired on Lifetime Television. Some of you might have seen it, and I actually looked it up, and it's available that you can actually watch it on YouTube. But it was an interesting story to hear her tell it because she went through an awful lot in her life. Her most exciting time of the month was the first of the month because that's when the check would come from the government that her parents and her, and her sister would go, and they would pick it up. They would go to the bank or wherever they went to cash it, and then her parents would promptly go to their drug dealers and buy their supply of drugs. And with whatever little bit of money was left over, they would buy some food for the girls, and they would have some food for a few days without having to go scrounge around, begging, bumming off of their friends and their friends' families. She lived a difficult life. She told a riveting story of the things that she went through and all of the ardor that she had to deal with with her parents. But eventually, her mother died of AIDS when she was about 17 years old. By that point in time, she had dropped out of school, and she was living homelessly on the streets, more or less, sleeping in the trains in New York City because she had nowhere else to sleep. And that was the warmest, most comfortable place she could find. But she decided after her mother died that she wanted something more from her life, that she needed to do something else. She had dropped out of school as a freshman in high school, never even completing the first semester. And so she decided she wanted to go back to high school to get a diploma. So she began on that quest to try to do that, not realizing how hard it would be. And she went to school after school, asking to get back in, being turned down one after another. Finally, one afternoon, she had one other interview that she had to yet go to that afternoon to another school. And some of her friends were going out to get pizza, and they said, why don't you just come with us? And she thought about it, and she said, well, to herself, I can either go to this interview where I'll probably get turned down once again. I've got enough money for the train to get there. Or I can go with my friends and have fun. But as she thought about it, she realized that she had, in essence, made a commitment to herself to go back to school. So she went ahead and went to that interview. That interview turned out to be the one where she did get accepted. 
She met with a professor there that she talked about fondly because he became her mentor. That as he talked to her, she looked at him and she thought, he's not going to like me. He's not going to accept me. He's the typical professor. He's got the bow tie. He's got the coat with the little pads on the arms. She's like, he doesn't want anything to do with me. She said she was dressed in all goth, all black and heavy makeup, her hair kind of half covering her face. But this gentleman took an interest in her, began to ask her some questions, which she answered. And so he said, okay, if I let you back in high school, will you graduate? And she said, yes, I will. He said, okay. And he put his hand out to shake. She looked at it. She's like, I don't touch people. That's not what I do. But she went ahead after a second and put her hand out and shook his hand, at which time he looked her in the eye and he said, you're going to graduate with a 4.0. And she said she just kind of stared at him, not knowing what to think. But she had made a commitment and she began to work forward to that end. And over the next two years, she completed four years of high school, taking 17 to 20 units a year, going to night school, going to school on the summers, constantly pushing herself to do well. After she had been in school for a short period of time, she came to her mentor, Perry, and she said, look, I got a 96 on this test. And he looked at her and he said, why didn't you get a 100? <laughs> and she just was like, what? But he pushed her. He pushed her. And as a result of him pushing her, so to speak, she did graduate two years later, having done four years of high school and two, and she graduated with a 4.0. And ultimately, she was able to get a scholarship and go to Harvard. Not too bad for a young girl who came from that upbringing. She strove to do something that was beyond her dream, so to speak, but she achieved it. And today she's a very successful psychologist and a very sought-after speaker. As I said, they made a movie about her early life from, from Homeless to Harvard, they titled it. And she wrote a book called Breaking Night that's out that goes through in a lot more detail of all that she went through in her early life. So what does her story have to do with us today? Well, brethren, she sought to get a good education and to do well. We also are seeking something. We also are seeking to graduate, if you will. We have been accepted into the most prestigious program in the United States, actually in the world. We have been accepted into a program of higher learning that is beyond anything that mankind has to offer because it is something that has come from God. We have been accepted into a program to be a son of God. But the only way that we are going to make it there is if we have that same type of commitment that she had. What she had was seeking a physical dream, so to speak. What we have is seeking a spiritual dream. But it has to be real to us, and it requires us to make a commitment. The biggest commitment of our lives. We made that at baptism for those of us who have been baptized. Most of this in this room, that applies to. We made a commitment to God at baptism that we would seek him and his righteousness and his kingdom. That we would put him first. 
We made a commitment not to an individual, but a commitment to excellence. And that's the title of the sermon today, Commitment to Excellence. Turn over to Luke chapter 14. Our commitment requires that we go all out. And as a minister, when I have counseled people for baptism, as I'm sure most all of the other ministers in this room who have, we always go through this passage of Luke to make sure that as we are talking to these individuals, as they are looking toward wanting to be baptized, wanting to have God's Holy Spirit, that They understand exactly what it is that they're committing their lives to. They understand what it means. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, or as we understand, translated better, love less, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We have got to put God first and foremost above all else in our life if we are going to, in essence, fulfill that commitment. When we put God above them, it isn't a matter of that your wife is here and your, or your husband and your children and your family and your job and the church and then God is just kind of here. Mother, father, children and all those other things are down here. God is off the chart, so to speak. There is no comparison. We love our own life less because we have laid down our life in essence and given it to God. We have said, we want to be like you. It requires a huge commitment that we have got to make sure that we follow through with. As we look forward to keeping the Passover here in another six weeks or so, And we begin, in essence, that process that we do every year of self-examination. One of the things that we need to look at ourselves in light of is commitment. Am I really a committed Christian? Have I committed my life to God as I should have? Do I love God more than anything else in life? Do I love less my father, my mother, my wife, my children, brothers and sisters? Yes, in my own life. And as he says in verse 27, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, bearing our cross, it shows that it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And that cross that symbolizes Jesus Christ and his death and what he did for us, laying down his life for us, likewise, we must be willing to lay down our lives for him. Remembering what he went through, what he gave up, and what he suffered for us. And we take up that cross each and every day and we bear it. We walk through each and every day knowing that Jesus Christ, in essence, is in us and going and helping us and guiding us and leading us. And we remember him. He is constantly in the forefront of our minds as we do all that we do. You shall... In Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, we read Jesus' words that tell us how we are to love God. Luke, Mark 12, verse 28. 
If we are going to put God first and foremost, above all else, we have got to truly be able to love Him. As Jesus said in verse 28, which, which is the first commandment of all? At the very end of that verse, He says, which is the first commandment of all? He was asked, and Jesus answered Him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We have to love God with every fiber of our being. Not holding anything back. Not holding our own lives back. Putting Him first and foremost in our thoughts, in what we do. That all we do is to His glory and His honor. Not to our own. You love God first. With all of your heart, all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he says in verse 31, or just finishing that verse 30, he says, This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Loving God. Obviously, within these two commandments, synopsizes all of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel. Love toward God, first and foremost, and love toward man. Loving, fearing, respecting, and obeying Him. We cannot love God if we don't obey Him. The world thinks you don't have to keep the commandments. All you have to do is love Jesus. Just have Him in your heart. But Jesus Himself said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. We will obey those commandments, all of them, if we love Him. And we cannot be a part of His family. We cannot graduate, if you will, from the program that we have enrolled in if we don't love God, if we don't obey Him. How well and how much do you love God? How well do you obey Him? Do you cut corners every now and then? Well, God won't mind. What's the big deal? It's just a little bit. It's just a little lie. It's just a little this. It's no big deal. If it isn't what Jesus Christ would have done, if it isn't what Jesus Christ, who is living His life in you, is in essence guiding you to do, it is a big deal. We have got to love and fear and respect and obey God. And as we prepare for this Passover, those are the questions that we need to be asking of ourselves. Have I committed myself to doing those things? Have I fully committed my life to God? How committed are you to the way of life that God has revealed to you? The way of truth. The way of doing those things that are pleasing in God's sight. Do you really love God with all of your heart? Turn back to Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, go to chapter 5, is an interesting book that this entire book was written in the last year of Moses' life. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, you see that Moses here is basically going through in this entire book and going back over all of those things 
that, in essence, God had put Israel through, all of the sins that Israel had gone and, and committed, and all of the laws and, and commandments and statutes that God had given them over the last 40 years, he has put kind of in this last book here, as he wrote it there at the very end of his life, reminding the Israelites of what they were to do, of what God had told them to do, what God is telling us to do and how we should do it. In chapter 5, we see here that he reiterates the Ten Commandments that were given originally back in Exodus chapter 20, but they're reiterated once again here in Deuteronomy 5. And after they, he, he had reiterated them for us, the elders you know, said to him, they said, Oh, we heard all these things. We understood these things, yes. And as they say in verse 27, they said, the, the Lord God may say, and tell us all the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. When God gave those commandments, they said, we, will, we hear it and we will do it. But they didn't, did they? They didn't. Because they didn't have the heart to do it. They didn't have God's spirit in them, did they? And as we read in verse 29, Moses writes, Oh, that they have, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that they might be well with them and their children forever. God, in essence, is saying, Oh, if they had just done these things, they would be blessed. But they didn't, did they? And in chapter 6, then. We pick up the story, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment that they, that these, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. He said, just do these things that I have commanded you. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. That land had been promised to them 40 years before. But they didn't go in. Now they were back there. They were right there at the border, ready to cross the Jordan River and go in to Israel and take it over. And, and they are being reminded of what they are to do. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. God is one. God and Christ are one. And if we have committed our lives to them, and we are loving them and obeying them, we in essence we are at one with them as well. And ultimately, we will be a part of that family as well. I and you, you and me. I and them, as Jesus said back in John 17. And, the, and verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The one who became Jesus Christ first said those words back here in the Old Testament, thousands of years before. He said, do these things. Love the Lord your God. And then he reiterated them when he came in the flesh, as we read earlier in Luke 14. I'm sorry, in Mark 12. 
And these words which I command you till day shall be in your heart. You see, God's words, His law, His statutes, it has to be in our heart. We have to have a commitment, in essence, that comes from the heart. It doesn't come from without. It comes from within. Our commitment to God is all-encompassing. We have got to be committed to love Him in every single way. The famous coach, Vince Lombardi, once said, Once a man has made a commitment to a way of life, he puts the greatest strength in the world behind him. It's something we call heart power. Once a man has made this commitment, nothing will stop him short of success. Nothing will stop him. It's about heart power. If we have committed our lives to God and it comes from our heart, and as we made that commitment, what happened at baptism? As we were put under that water and we came out having been washed clean of our sins, and then the hands of the ministry laid on our head and God's Holy Spirit given to us. What happened? Our heart was changed, was it not? We were given a new heart, a heart of flesh that God could work with, could shape and mold. And that is the only way by which we can be fully committed to Him is if we have that heart within us. And if we do, nothing should be able to stop us short of success. Our success is termed in being a son of God, isn't it? This commitment requires that we seek God's will in our life and we do it. We've got to seek his will fully. If Jesus Christ is truly living his life in you, you will be seeking God's will. You will want to do God's will because it will be coming from your heart not simply because you know in your head, well, this is the right thing to do. A lot of people have a lot of great head knowledge. They know that things are the right thing to do, but it isn't from the heart. And so they don't follow through because they aren't fully committed to it. God will lead us where we need to go if we seek Him and if we are committed to Him. God has a slightly different plan in store for each and every one of us. He hasn't called us all to do the same thing in this life. Ultimately, He has called us and, and given us all the same reward as a member of His family, having eternal life. But God has called us for a reason at this time. He has called each and every one of us in a different way. He has given us a different job to do. But there's a reason that we are called right now. A good reason. As we look around the world today and we see the way things are happening and what is going on as prophecy marches on and, be, and more and more prophecies become fulfilled and we see others beginning to be fulfilled, we realize more and more that we are at the end of the age. Jesus Christ is going to return soon. He is going to return in power and glory. And our job at this time, unlike any other time in human history, so to speak, the reason we have been called is to do the work to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the world as a witness to all nations. 
and then the end will come. And part of our commitment today and why we are here on this earth at this time, not a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, at this time is to do that work. In my father's sermon during the Charlotte Family Weekend, he talked about this. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing roughly, he asked us to ask the question, he said, is my reason for being to finish God's work? Is my reason for being to finish God's work? Finish God's work both with what he is doing within us as well as the work of preaching the gospel to the world. That is the reason that God has called us now, he said. Make your life count. Make your life count for something. Does your life count for something? If your life is going to count for something, you've got to commit yourself to it. It doesn't just sort of happen. It isn't just, boom, it's done. You've got to commit your life to doing something to make it count. Committing your life to God is something that has to be permanent. It's a permanent thing. Because unlike many other things in life, we don't get a second chance, do we? We get one shot at it. No three strikes and you're out. One strike and you're out. God is giving us our chance right here and right now. There is no greater commitment in life that you can make. Nothing surpasses the commitment that we have to make to God. And we have got to make sure that we follow through on it. Making the commitment is one thing. As I said, at baptism, we in essence all made that commitment. We told God, we accept your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice, and that he is our Savior, our Lord and Master, Master, living high priest and coming king. And we know that we need your help. We know we can't make this alone, and we need your spirit within us to guide us. And we are willing to give our lives to you for all our lives, not for just a portion of time, not just when it's convenient, but day in and day out. Turn over to Matthew 7. Following through on this commitment is what is key. Following through. It isn't going to be easy. Many of us have been in the church for many years and we've seen it as not being an easy road to hoe, as they say. It isn't easy and Jesus Christ never said it would be. In verse 13, he said that we are to enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go by it. The way that leads to destruction is a ten-lane superhighway. There are no speed limits, and you've got an Indy car, and you can go as fast as you want. And it's cool, and it's fun. But it leads to destruction, because that highway ends at a precipice, so to speak. And if you go off the precipice, that's it. It's over. It's done. 
That's why Jesus implores us to enter by the narrow gate. Because as he said in verse 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. There are few. Do you want to be a part of the few who find it? The few who find eternal life? I do. And I'm quite sure you do too. But it isn't easy, as Jesus Christ said. It's not going to be a walk in the park. Jesus Christ didn't do everything for us, and we don't have to do anything. We have to do the hard work. We have to go through the trials and tests of life. We have to grit our teeth and bear it, if you will, as these trials come upon us. And sometimes they are very sore trials. They can be trials with relationships, with family members, with jobs, with health. None of it is easy. It's hard. It's hard. But we can do it if we know where to turn to get the help we need. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If we delight in God, what does that mean we are doing? That means that we are loving God. We are obeying God. We are fearing God. We are serving God. We are doing God's will. And he says he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's the desire of your heart? The same as mine. To be in God's family. To be there at that first resurrection. At that seventh trump. To be raised up. To be eternal. Be given eternal life. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see, it says here that we are to commit our way to the Lord. You commit the way you live your life to God. That's about picking up your cross and bearing it. You commit yourself to Him, to moving forward, to doing those things that are pleasing to Him. But it's not just a matter of, if you look at this word commit, of, in essence, giving to Him, so to speak, your life. If you look this word up in the, in the Hebrew, it actually has a different meaning than some of us might realize. It says that it can either mean to trust or to roll, to roll. What does he mean by that? Jameson Fawcett and Brown says about this, that the Hebrew goal, roll thy way upon Yahweh. The image is of one rolling off from his own shoulders a burden which he is not able to bear upon the shoulders of another who is able to bear it. See, it isn't a matter of just giving our life to God. As we go through and commit our life to Him, we're going to have these trials and tests come along. And some of them are going to be severe. And we're going to need help to get through those, aren't we? We can't do it by ourselves. We need God's help. 
We need to be able to roll this burden upon him. Does that remind you of another scripture? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You are heavily laden. You have a big burden on your shoulders. You're carrying a huge backpack, if you will, for you backpackers out there. You put 50 pounds on, and it's it's a big weight. But increase it to 60 or 70 or more, and it's a huge burden. And Jesus said, you come to me, all you who are laden, labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. He will give us rest. How? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, as we go through these trials and tests that we are have to go through, because that is how God works in our life, that's how he is, in essence, preparing us. He is testing our heart to see if our heart is right. Will we follow him? Will we love him? Will we obey him even when we're going through serious trials and tests? And yet, when we realize that we can't carry it on our own, we can look to Him for that help. Committing our life to God means that we're willing to, in essence, lay this burden on Him, realizing that we have to have His help to do it. We can't do it by ourselves. His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. And we can put that on, and we can continue to move forward toward our crest toward our quest. What we've committed our lives to isn't easy. It isn't just a Sunday afternoon walk in the park with the birds singing and the sun shining on your shoulders, Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder singing in the background. It's hard. It requires hard work and total dedication. As I listened to Liz Murray tell her story, it was clear that she was totally committed as a young person, to doing what she needed to do. She had totally committed her life, as it were, to complete school, to complete that high school and get that diploma. At that point in her life, that was as far as she could see ahead, was just to get a diploma. But as she shook the hand of Perry, and he said, you're going to graduate, and you're going to get a 4.0. For someone who hadn't been to school for years, who had lived at that point in time, she was literally homeless. He didn't even realize that she was homeless. That was the one thing she said she didn't tell him at that point. But as she shook his hand and he said, you're going to get a 4.0, in the back of her mind, she's like, yeah, right. All she at that point wanted to do was graduate. But two years later, she did graduate. And she did it with a 4.0. She didn't settle for second best, so to speak. She didn't settle for just getting that diploma. She was committed 
to getting the diploma, but she was committed to excellence because he pushed her. She knew she couldn't do it alone. She knew she would never make it on her own. She had to have help. And Perry was there to help her. And he was also there to push her and prod her to do better, to work harder. And she did get hundreds on her tests, many of them, she said. And for us, as we go through and we look toward getting our degree, if you will, our graduation into God's family, God is prodding us, isn't he? He is pushing us. He doesn't want us to just barely squeak by and just get in, quote unquote, by the skin of our teeth. He wants us to come in with flying colors. He wants us to get, in essence, an excellent education, the best that we can get, to be the best that we can be. She was committed to excellence. We must also be committed to excellence, committed to doing the best that we can. But once again, just like her, we know we can't do it on our own. We've got to look to God. We've got to ask Him for the help that we need when we get into trials and tests and difficult times to say, God, how do I do this? What do I do? As we commit our lives to God, we know that Jesus Christ is there for us. We know that He cares for us. And we'll face a lot of challenges along the way, but with His help, we will roll that burden as it were, onto Him when it gets too heavy for us. We can overcome with His help, but only with His help. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Peter writes... Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, as we go through this quest to graduate, we've got to go through humbly. If we are humble, ultimately, God will exalt us. He will exalt us and give us glory and honor, great power as one of his sons, If we do it humbly, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. See, there it is. You put your care, you roll your burden onto him because he cares for you. God cares for us. Christ cares for us. We matter to him. Why? Because they are committed to us. They have committed themselves to us from the time before we were ever even created. Jesus Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. He committed Himself to do what He did before mankind ever even existed. What if He had changed His mind at the last minute and said, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to give up all this power and glory and go live like one of those idiots down there on that little golf ball in space. Maybe I'll have somebody else do it. It's not what happened because they were committed. God was committed to it happening and Jesus Christ was committed to giving His life to us. Their commitment to us came first. 
Now we have got to commit to them. We have got to commit to them. But once again, it's a rough road. We're warned here in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to break our commitment. He wants us to break our commitment. To turn away, to give up. To say it's too hard, I can't do it. I can't make it. We can't let him win, can we? We must not. Resist him, steadfast in faith knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Yes, we all have to go through it individually. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Each of us has to go through it as an individual. We have to deal with our own trials, with our own tests. We have got to overcome. But if we do, our reward is great, much greater than anything we can fully imagine. There's a lot of examples of commitment when you go through the Bible. And in this short split sermon, I don't have time to even begin to go through all of the different individuals and all the things that they did in committing their lives. Thinking back to Noah and what he did. To David. King David committing his life. Willingly going up against Goliath. Knowing that he couldn't win on a physical level but realizing it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. It was about God. The Apostle Paul and many of the other apostles that committed their lives to God, ultimately losing their lives for God. But their reward is certain. Their commitment was complete. They never gave up. They never let in. No matter what happened, Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned, possibly to death. Many, many other trials and tests. But he kept going because he knew he couldn't quit. He was committed to it from the moment that God got his attention, so to speak. He was committed to his road. And as he said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He had committed himself to finish that race. To not give up. And that's what we've got to do today. Many people that I have known growing up in my life have not committed their lives as they should have. Thousands of brethren around this world are no longer obeying God who once were. I have friends and family that used to be sitting here in church that no longer are. Why? Because they weren't fully committed. They didn't have that zeal of commitment that we have got to have. God expects us to make our lives count for something. We've got to make sure that our lives are about Doing what is right. Doing God's will. Committing ourselves and our lives to doing that. But the only way that our lives can count for something is if that we have fully committed them to what we are doing. 
If you only commit part of your resources, if you will, into building a company or doing some particular project, the odds are it's not going to work out as well. Well, I'm only going to commit part way. You're not going to probably end up finishing. You're not going to end up successful unless you fully commit. God wants us to commit in every way. We've got to be committed to what we've been called to do. Committed to obeying God. Committed to doing the work to preach the gospel. Committed to loving God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our ultimate commitment is to life. That's what it's to. Our ultimate commitment is to life. Eternal life as a son of God. And that, my friends, is a commitment to excellence.